0: of God as we read our scripture text for this evening, Jeremiah chapter 2, we're going to be reading uh, at verse 11. God says, uh, Hath a nation changed their uh, their uh, 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 gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Is Israel servant?" Is he a home born slave? Why is he spoiled? The young lions roared upon him and yelled, and they lay, made his land waste. His cities are burned without an inhabitant. Also, the children of Noth and Tapanes have broken the crown of thy head. Hast thou not procured this unto thyself, in that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God when he led thee by the way? And now, what is thou to do in the way of Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor? Or what is thou to do in the way of Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God. Let's remain standing for prayer tonight. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together to this place tonight. I pray that you would quiet our hearts and focus our attention on the truth of the Word of God. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would undertake for the proclamation and the application of your Word to each heart here. And in the invitation, bring about those decisions that would glorify the Father and accomplish your will. And we'll be careful to thank you and praise your name for it, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this evening. This is... The cold and flu season, when many people have the flu or they catch a cold or some kind of illness and uh, often away from work or at home or having to see the doctor for one reason or another. In fact, I know some churches that usually have a handshaking song somewhere during the course of their service that forego that this time of year. Just so they won't spread that kind of fellowship around, and there are a few others that I've seen that uh, handle that by putting a well-placed bottle of hand sanitizer at the end of every pew, so that when the folks are done shaking hands, they can they can disinfect the fellowship off the hands. In any case, but uh, you know the Bible tells us that the people of Israel, who, uh, unto whom God is speaking in this passage, were afflicted by a spiritual disease, a disease that afflicts the lives and hearts and minds of born-again believers throughout this world, even tonight. Maybe even someone here is afflicted by this disease that God dealt with his people about over and over and over again in his word. What is that disease? It's the disease in verse 19 that God calls Backsliding. Then all wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing, and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. Backsliding is a disease that we see as we travel around the world and in the US, from one end to the other, and from north to south and east to west, from sea to shining sea, afflicting the lives of many, many believers in many churches all across the country and around the world. It's a disease that that causes uh, terrible things in the lives of believers because it afflicts so many people. There are so many things we're going to mention about it tonight in the time that we have together. I want us, first of all, to find out what is a backslider. What is a backslider, and how can you tell whether or not you have that disease? Well, if we look at our scripture passage in verse 13, you'll find the definition given to us of a backslider. God says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So what is a backslider? Well, notice, first of all, a backslider is one of God's people. A backslider is one of God's people who what? Who fails to walk close to God or who falls into sin. A backslider is one of God's people who fails to walk close to God or who falls into sin. You say, preacher, how do I know whether or not I am a backslider tonight? Well, let me ask you one simple question I think we'll point that up. Can you think of a time in your spiritual life when you were closer to God than you are right now? Can you think of a time when you were more on fire for the Lord Jesus than you are tonight? When you wanted to witness to to others about Him more than you do tonight? When you were more excited about reading the Word of God than you are today? When you spent more time with God in prayer than you do these days? Can you think of a time when you were more desirous to be active in your local church than than you are tonight? If so, I can tell you God isn't the one who's changed. You have a touch of the disease that the Bible calls backsliding. You say, by the way, how does a person get to be a backslider? You don't just wake up one morning, poof, a backslider. How does it happen? Well, notice with me what the Bible says are the causes of backsliding. The Bible says in this passage of Scripture, again verse 13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's the first thing. The first thing we could say that causes backsliding is failing to walk close to God. Or if you will, another way we could put it is neglect. I would ask How many of you here have at your home some sort of a piece of exercise equipment? Maybe it's a stationary bike. Maybe it's a treadmill. Maybe it's a barbell set. Maybe it's a home gym. Maybe it's a a wheel you roll on or a five-master you squeeze or or a ball you sit on or, or, or ribbons you stretch or something. How many of you have some kind of exercise equipment like that at home? Okay, yeah, almost everybody here does. Second question, for how many of you is that piece of exercise equipment sitting in the corner of a room or in a closet somewhere gathering dust? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's neglect, folks, neglect. Now, there are some things that are very simple things. This is not rocket science. We just drove up from below uh, where NASA is down there in in Huntsville, uh, Alabama. We were in Decatur, just south of there. But this is not rocket science. You don't need a Ph.D. to understand this. It's rather simple. But there are some things that, if neglected, will cause you to backslide. What are they? Number one, you will backslide if you neglect your Bible. If you neglect your Bible, you will backslide. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, "Study to show thyself a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. God wants us to be in his word. You want to be successful in this world as far as God is concerned? Read Joshua 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good Success. What did David say about the word of God in Psalm 119? Thy words were, uh, uh, rather, God said, uh, he said uh, that he loved the, lo- the law of the Lord. How much? He, he said, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation. How often? Day and night. In the first psalm, the psalmist wrote that the blessed man is the one who, in verse 2, delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. In Psalm 119, 11, David said, thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? that I might not sin against thee. In Psalm 119, verse 105, he said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In another passage, he said, The entrance of thy word bringeth life. God's word tells us over and again the importance of the word of God. And yet, I meet more and more believers as I travel around from church to church who spend very little time in their Bibles. I met a lady just a couple of years ago at the end of the year that said, Preacher, God spoke to my heart from your preaching. She said, I've been saved for 25 years. But she said, I'm sad to say I haven't read my Bible all the way through yet. Not even once. Before we shake our heads tonight, have you read your Bible all the way through? through. Oh, I know what happens sometimes. We we, we try, and we begin, and we get uh, 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 down in a, a few months, and we miss a day or two, and then that turns into a week or two, that turns into a month or two, and we throw up our hands and say, I quit. You know, I'm so far behind now, I'm never going to get it done anyway. And so we neglect the Word of God. Listen, folks, if you neglect the Scripture, that's like neglecting your daily food. The prophet said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Being in the Word of God spiritually is like eating physical food. We need Need that nourishment spiritually every single day. Most of us don't have a problem with eating too little, amen. Notice we don't have a whole lot of reverse diet programs out there where we're gonna tell you how you need to eat to gain weight, right? It's all the opposite direction because people already are eating too much. <laughs> Some people are light eaters. As soon as it turns light, they start eating. Some people are see on a seafood diet, all the food they see, they eat, right? Some people you can tell they're on the level because they're bubbles in the middle. The fact of the matter is uh, uh, that, that, that we don't have a problem with, with, with eating uh, too little. We often eat too much. And we don't have a problem spiritually with spending too much time in the Word of God, do we? And I can tell you this, if you neglect your time in the Scripture, it will cause you to backslide. Listen, if you have a hard time keeping up with Bible reading, get a Bible reading schedule of some sort our church hands one out every year before the end of the year so we can keep right on going into the next year. It's a nice 5 by 7 booklet uh, that uh, has a calendar for every month in there. You can actually write things in the squares if you had appointments and don't just poke icons on a screen or something like that. Uh, it has four passages of Scripture a day to read. A chapter or two from the Old Testament, a chapter of Psalms, a chapter of Proverbs, and a chapter or two from the New Testament. By the time you've finished reading through that, oh, it might take 20-30 minutes a day to read through that Scripture, a time well spent with a Lord, by the time you finish reading through the entire Bible schedule by the end of that year, we've not only read the entire Bible from cover to cover, we've read the New Testament twice, the book of Psalms twice, and the book of Proverbs 12 times. You can't spend that much time in the Word of God without it affecting you positively. But conversely, you can't spend time away from the Word of God without it affecting you negatively. If you neglect your Bible, you will backslide. Secondly, if you neglect your prayer, you will backslide. If you neglect your prayer you will backslide. 1 Thessalonians 5:17 says what? Pray without ceasing. Now what does that mean? Does it mean we walk around all day long with our eyeballs shut praying until we run into a telephone pole or get hit by a passing school bus? No, but it does mean we can have a constant attitude of prayer all day long. You know, statistics show the average Christian spends less than five minutes a day in prayer. And most of that is God is great, God is good, and we thank Him for our food. Amen. Or now I lay me down to sleep and tuck my feet beneath the sheet. If I should die before I wake, I hope it won't be with a bellyache or something else that way. Or it's when our car hits a patch of black ice and goes into a spin or a skid toward A nearby telephone pole, we cry out, Help, Lord! But that's the extent of some Christians' prayer lives. The Bible says we're to pray without ceasing. Have you noticed uh, that, that, that there are many people who are obviously not going to God in prayer because they're so miserable in their lives and their attitudes all day long? Listen, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. There's a reason for prayer. We should be going to God consistently, constantly in our prayer for the Lord. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. Look, if, if if reading the Bible is like eating physical food, what is prayer like? Ever heard somebody talk about breathing a prayer to God? Well, prayer is like spiritual breathing. Now, how many of you have a problem with breathing? Most of us don't. Occasionally, I run into somebody who's bringing their oxygen tank to church with them or has an inhaler in their pocketbook or something. But let's face it, most of us don't come into our house at the end of the day, close the door, lean up against it and say, I am so tired. I've been breathing all day, do we? Why? Because breathing is natural for human being. No breathe, no live. Amen? You're not even sitting in that chair right now concentrating. Inhale, exhale, inhale, did I miss an exhale? You didn't even have to think about it. Why? Because it's natural. If you don't breathe, you don't have life. Prayer ought to be that natural for a believer. Now, make a suggestion. If you have a hard time being consistent in your prayer life or constructive in your prayer life, get yourself a prayer list. What do you mean? Get a, a get in a small assignment pad. Sorry, I mentioned that word on the weekend, young people. But get yourself an assignment pad. On the first page, write down uh, all the people in your family. Pray for each other faithfully. You'll have less fights and fumes and difficulties in your house if you're praying one for another faithfully. Turn the next page. Write down the other families in your church. Pray for them faithfully. Again, you'll have more unity in your church if you're all praying one for another, uh, lifting one another up to the throne of Christ. Then what? Then turn the page and write down all the missionaries your church supports. Do you even know the names of the missionaries your church supports? Never mind, are you praying for them? Are you spending time talking to God for them? You know, it used to be years ago you had no idea what was going on with the missionaries. It would take months for a letter to come from the mission field home by ship or airplane even. Nowadays we have all the electronic media. You can Skype with a missionary. You can be emailing that missionary. You can know what's going on in real time in the midst of a situation. We have no excuse not to be able to pray for them effectively. But how many believers do? How many of us bother to talk to God about our mission? Turn the page. Write the names of the evangelists and other preachers, special preachers that come through. Hey, put my name down there. I know there's some folks in some churches that faithfully pray for us each week, some certain days of the week. I hope I've got somebody praying every one of the days. But in any case, uh, praise the Lord for folks who are praying. Turn the next page and write down the names of lost people that you're working to win to the Lord Jesus Christ. People you know who where you work with, go to school with, or live next door to that you want to see saved. Pray for them faithfully day in and day out. And then turn the page and write down the other requests for which you're praying. Sometimes the things other people ask you to pray for. How many times have you had somebody say to you, hey would you pray with me about this and this? And you say, well sure I will and you forget as soon as you walk away. So when they come back and say, listen, I want to thank you for praying for me because this is what God did. Then you feel guilty while you have a smile on your face and say, oh, that's wonderful because you didn't even bother to pray once. You forgot the second you walked away from them when they asked you in the first place. Got a prayer list. You can jot that down right away. Why is that important? Well, let me tell you for two reasons, because number one, you will never have any atheist ever be able to convince you there is no God. My wife, uh, wife and I were coming home from Australia last uh, last September, and I was sitting next to a fellow who was an atheist, or uh, he said agnostic. I, I don't even know if you'd call him that. But in any fact, uh, he he didn't believe in God. He believed we were all nothing but a simulation in a computer, perhaps, with somebody who had designed the simulation. And that was all of that kind of thing. I think he'd been listening to Elon Musk, who'd been drinking whiskey and smoking pot while he was being interviewed by whoever it was, uh, interviewed him of those things. But, but the, I said to him, you know what, sir? you will never know it and there's no atheist that will ever convince me there is no God. Why? Because I've seen too many specific answers to prayer in my own personal life. Not not just coincidences, direct answers by a holy God to my prayers. And you know what else? You can at the end of each year go back and look through your prayer list and, and, and as you've written down next to the request that you've been praying about, how God has answered them, you can go back and look at all the wonderful mighty things that God has done on behalf of himself in your life because of your praying. You'll be strengthened by that. But let me tell you something, folks. If you neglect your prayer life, you will backslide. So if you neglect your Bible, you'll backslide. If you neglect your prayer, you'll backslide. Number three, if you neglect your witness or your testimony, you will backslide. The Bible tells us we need to be a public witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. What does Mark 16, 15 tell us? Stay out of all the world and keep the gospel a secret from every creature, right? No, that isn't what it says. It says go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What does it say in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. teaching them and observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. God's word commands us again and again to go forth with his word and to share the gospel. If you want to be a strong Christian, learn to communicate the gospel to those around you. Learn the Scriptures to convince others of who Christ is. It'll strengthen your faith as you learn those verses. I find an awful lot of believers in churches these days don't even know the Gospel Scriptures to tell anybody how to be saved. They say they're concerned about the lost, but they're afraid to witness to somebody because they're afraid the person they talk to may know their religion better than they'll know their own. Well, there's a way to settle that, get into the Word of God, study those Scriptures, and then how to share Christ with others effectively. But if you're one of those people who wants to be a CIA, FBI, undercover type Christian who's going to say, well, I'll just sort of maybe live the life in front of my coworkers or whatever, and if they knock me down and threaten to kill me, if I don't tell them why my life is so different, then I might witness to them. Look, the fact is, we need to be public in our testimony for Christ. You will not be a weak Christian if the others around you know that you are a believer in Christ. Why? Because they're going to be watching you every day. I put it this way. Look, if you got a bumper bumper sticker on the back of your pickup truck that talks about how much you love Jesus, chances are you're not going to park it in front of a bar, amen? Keeps you out of trouble. When you're being a public witness for Christ, you know everybody around you is watching you, listening to you, observing your behavior. That helps you to be a strong Christian, recognizing that if you blow it, if you slip up, if you make a mistake, then you hurt the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Helps you to be a strong Christian if you're faithful in your witness. But you neglect your witness, try to be an undercover Christian, and I guarantee it will be that much easier to fall into sin. It'll be that much easier to go to the annual office party and drink with everybody else. It'll be that much easier to be able to go out with somebody and drink liquor socially or otherwise. You'll do that if you're not a public testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you neglect your witness, you will backslide. And fourthly, if you neglect your service, you'll backslide. If you neglect your service, you will backslide. I heard about this older woman uh, that that was uh, a grandmother that took, uh, along with her friend, she took her little grandson with her to a tour in Europe. And they were in some big cathedral one day on a tour, and there was a plaque in the wall that said, this is dedicated to all the men who died in the service. And the grandson yanked on his grandmother's sleeve and said, Grandmom, which service was it, morning or evening? Well, no, I'm not, I I don't mean that kind of service. Although, if you neglect your being in the house of God, it will cause you to backslide. Have you heard the famous story about the man who had been out of church so long and he really didn't like people to talk to him? He'd get aggravated if he'd do that. And so the pastor went by to visit him one day and he knocked on the door and the man invited him in and they went in and they sat down in front of the fireplace. And the pastor didn't say a word. He got up out of his seat. He walked over and took the tongs by the fireplace and reached in and grabbed the hot coal out of the middle of the fire and then set it out on the edge of the hearth and then sat down again. And they watched as it began to grow cold and grow ash over and began to cool off and go out. And then finally the pastor walked over with the tongs, picked the thing up again and put it back in the middle with the other coals. And once again, it became vibrantly red and hot and didn't have to say a word. The man understood the message. We need to be in God's house with the other believers where the word of God is being preached because if you're out here in the world all the time and you're not faithful in the services of your local church, you will cool off. In your witness, you will cool off in your Christian life. You need to be with God's people. But when I said service, I didn't just mean a service in a church. I meant your act active work for the Lord Jesus Christ. My father told a story about a little fellow who came into the, the Sunday morning service. He came out of Sunday school, went to the bathroom, stopped, got a drink at the drinking fountain, stopped to talk to a friend of his, and he was later coming in than normally he was. He usually sat right in the very front corner of the center of the aisle uh, on one side, on the right side, down off the platform. So uh, while they were Singing the first verse already of the first congregational song, down the aisle he came like this. All the way up to the front, he got his hymn book out and looked to the second verse. And as they started the second verse, the fellow who was the song leader, also the Sunday school superintendent, looked at him and said, What are you doing? The little boy said, Who, me? He said, Yes, you. He said, What's well, so with the point, point, point down the aisle? Little boy said, I'm doing the Sunday school lesson. He said, the Sunday school lesson? He said, yes, sir, that's the memory verse. He said, the memory verse? Little boy said, aha, you didn't learn it, did you? Yeah. So he quoted it for him. First Corinthians 15, 58. Dear, for my blubber blubbering, be ye steadfast, immovable, always bounding. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's doing what he thought the verse said, always bounding, but that's not what the verse says. It says, always bounding abounding. In what? In the work of the Lord. Listen, I've seen people come to the pastor and say, preacher, I'm getting a little tired in this ministry or that work, and I'm going to take a sabbatical for a while. I want to get away. Let somebody else do it for a while. I'm just going to go off and take a little bit more time off and rest up a little bit, and I promise I'll come back and serve God again. You know what? So many of those people never, ever get back to serving the Lord. Why? Look, if you're not spending your spare time serving the Lord, you'll be spending it serving somebody else. The devil will find lots of things for you to do if you're not busy serving the Lord Jesus Christ. How to keep yourself on fire for the Lord is to keep engaged in allowing the Lord to work through you in service. What's your function in the body? The Bible says God has placed the members in the body and has pleased him. Look, are, are you saved? Good. If you are, then you ought to be a member of a local visible assembly of believers. Now, uh, do you have a body? Sure. Does your body have members? Absolutely. Are they all visible? No. Are they all the same size? No. Do they all have the same function? Of course not. But do they all have a function? Of course they do. What happens if your body members don't function? Usually one of two things. They take you to the hospital as sick or to the morgue as dead. I've seen some pretty sick churches around the country and the world. And some I wondered if you shouldn't call the spiritual undertaker because while they had members, the members weren't functioning at all. There's no room for somebody to sit back and let everybody else serve while they just sit there and do nothing. That would be like your foot deciding it's not going to operate for the rest of this year. going to take a break for a year and let the rest of the members of the body do their thing. No, we need every member in its place functioning as is designed to function. Some people ought to be singing in a choir who listen to a choir sing. Some people watch other people play instruments you could be playing instruments. Some people could be teaching a Sunday school class. Some people walk in a room full of children and they can be there an hour and the kids don't even notice. Other people walk in a room full of children and the kids are sitting around them in five minutes listening to what they're saying. You should be teaching Sunday school, children's church, doing vacation Bible school, something God gave you an ability. There are all kinds of abilities. Some men say, well, I can't teach and I can't say I can tear things apart and put them back together again. I have a few extra pieces left over, but it runs. Well, amen. We need people like that to keep church vehicles operating, church buses and van routes operating, church building plants operating. Those things are necessary. Those are abilities and talents that God has given for the glory of the Lord. What is is it that you are good at or what are the things you are good at? And if you're not sure how that can be used in the local church, see the pastor or see his wife. I'm sure they can help you with understanding where you can plug in. And if you're actively involved in serving the Lord, if you're busy spending your spare time doing things for God, you don't have time to do anything for the devil. Amen? Sounds simplistic, but it's true. Neglect your Bible, you'll backslide. Neglect your prayer, you'll backslide. Neglect your witness, you'll backslide. Neglect your service, and you'll backslide. The first cause of backsliding is failing to uh, to to be uh, to walk with the Lord, failing to spend time with God like you ought to. But the second uh, cause of backsliding is uh, is is what it says also in verse 13. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and then what? They've hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold. No water. Not only is there a failure to walk close to God, but there is a falling into sin. A falling into sin. We could call it entanglement. The Bible puts it this way in 2 Timothy 2, verse 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life. he might please him that hath chosen him to be a soldier. We don't entangle ourselves in the things of this world. There are certain things that if we entangle ourselves with can cause us to backslide. What are they? Three things I'll mention tonight. Number one, worldly atmosphere. Worldly atmosphere. Remember we mentioned this morning some scriptures. It says in Ephesians 5.11, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Wherefore come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you. Uh, Romans 12.2 says, Be not conformed to this world. God's Word is clear about not becoming entangled with worldly atmosphere. What do you mean? Well, look, if a person listens to rock and roll music all day long with its lyrics of drugs and sex and rebellion against religion and false, uh, uh, against authority rather and false religion, it's not going to be any wonder that you begin to think like the garbage that you're listening to. Somebody said like, years ago when the computers uh, first came out, G-I-G-O, GIGO, garbage in, garbage out. That's why the Bible says, uh, the blessed man is the one who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Somebody described that this way. They said the content of the world that you allow to be pumped into your mind becomes concept, the way you and I begin to think about things, which then translates into conduct, the way we live. Somebody else put it this way. If you're listening to the things of the world, it won't be long before you'll begin to live the things you listen to, and then it won't be long before you'll be leading others into those same things. Somebody said, well, I don't listen to rock music. Preacher, I listen to country western music. This is the southeast, and we listen to country western music. Really, what's the difference between rock and country western? Aside from the fact the music is a little more twangy and the performers might be a bit more patriotic, think about it, the lyric material is pretty much the same, isn't it? The same drinking, the same carousing, the same unfaithfulness to your spouse, you know, my wife ran away with my friend Jim, I don't miss her, but I do miss him, you know, something like that somebody said you know what happens when you play country western music backwards you get your wife back your truck back your job back and everything else you lost when you played it forward while I'm sitting in my semi truck cab with my tears dripping off my chin because my girlfriend done left me and the windshield wipers slapping time to the tears hitting the floor I mean listen that's the kind of I was pumping gas at a fuel station in Pennsylvania years ago and they had the local froggy whatever country western radio station blaring over the speakers at the gas pump and the male singer I had no idea it is hadn't heard the song since talking about uh, how how evidently there was a girl that was getting close to him and wanting to get close to him and he'd already left his wife and how many other girlfriends and the whole song was about you don't want to get too close to me because I got a lot of leaving left to do. Isn't that a marvelous philosophy to fill your mind as a Christian with? Using people up, and throwing them off after you're done with them and, and fooling around and sexual sin and all the rest of that. Don't, don't, th- 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 people say, well, I, you know, I'm listening to, Christ. yeah, if you're listening to that stuff, I can tell you you're filling your mind with garbage. Don't be surprised when it begins to affect the way you live your life. That's why it's no better when we take the name of God or the word of God and immerse it in the rock and roll music of the world and call it contemporary Christian music or modern country gospel music as well. Look, I have no problem with old-time quartet music from years ago and that still is played in some some places in the world today. But what's on the normal country gospel station today isn't that. It's the same country western beat and the same twang and the rest of that. In fact, in some cases, it's got more beat than the regular country western music does. I was in Lebanon, Pennsylvania for meetings for about a month in churches around that area, and they're famous for gospel groups out of that part of the country, as well as uh, a big country western station there. And when I'd go to Walmart, just for the fun of it, I'd just flip back and forth uh, a little bit between the one station and the other to see how they sound. Consistently, the Christian station was harder than the secular one. I've seen videos of Christian rock concerts and and, and secular rock concerts. If you look at any of that, you will see the same sensual, sexual, postured dancing going on at the Christian concert as, as goes on at the secular concert. Don't tell me that's the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And when people feed their hearts and their minds with that kind of garbage, does it make them more spiritual? No. Oh, yeah, some people want to tell me how spiritual it makes them while they are standing this far from my nose with their face flushed red, chewing my nose off because they're angry that I dared to say anything about what the Bible says applies to contemporary Christian music. Oh, real spiritual, that is. Some people say, I'm not addicted when I say, look, how about not listening to that music for a month? (laughs) Oh, but you're not an addict. See, look, you immerse yourself in the things of the world. You will backslide. If you sit home and watch the garbage on the television set that spews out of that thing like a sewer pipe open on one end, you will end up backsliding. You watch the, the daytime soap opera. I don't know why they call them soap operas. and nothing clean about any of them. Yes, I do know why, because when they actually first came out on the radio, they were sponsored by soap companies. But you miss one of those programs these days, just one day, you had to go back the next day to figure out who murdered who, who ran off with whose wife, and who's having whose baby. Isn't that right? That's the way it is. You, listen, you watch that kind of garbage during the daytime, no wonder you're going to be having troubles with your marriage. No wonder you're going to be having trouble with your husband or your wife or whatever, <coughs> whatever else. Uh, uh, the other situations come up and that same stuff that affect your life, you'll find that taking place. You sit at home and watch the, the, all those uh, who's the greatest American this and that and something else, and you're going to wonder why your kids are coming out everywhere. I'm the most important thing in the world. It's all about me, me, me. Because that's all those programs are about, me, me, me. So many things we didn't even think about. Years ago, my, my wife uh, l- uh, like uh, to watch I Love Lucy. We talk about a harmless show, right? I Love Lucy. Somebody gave us years ago a couple of videotapes that they had taped off the television of I Love Lucy episodes, and so my wife was watching through them. My girls were home at the time. They were little girls. And you know what? It's an amazing thing. We, we began to find our daughters lying a lot. And we're looking at each other going, where is this coming from? We don't lie. We don't teach them to lie. Where in the world are they coming up with something? What would you be causing them to lie so much? Then we started to think through what was different. And the only thing that was different was we were watching I Love Lucy episodes on the television set. Well, wait a minute. What is nearly every I Love Lucy episode about underlying? Ricky tells her not to do something. She does what Ricky told her not to do. Then she spends half the broadcast trying to cover over what she did and lying about what she did. Our girls were learning. They were learning. I mean, some people say, oh, man, that's a harmless program. I can tell you it's not. I can tell you it's not because of how it affected my own daughters. You see, what we allow to be pumped in, the atmosphere we immerse ourselves in will affect us, whether you like it or not. It will affect you. And that's why we need to be careful about the atmosphere of the world we allow ourselves to be in. But not only will worldly atmosphere cause you to backslide, so will worldly associates. Worldly associates. That's why the Bible is very explicit about the associates we have. That's why the Bible uh, tells us in uh, in Exodus 23 and verse 2, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. And in Proverbs 13, verse 20, the Bible says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools Shall be destroyed. Now, my father often said, many preachers were known for their profound sayings. He always said he was known for his sayings. Anyway, uh, one of the sayings my father had, brother Umstead just brought up at even lunchtime today, was uh, written into a song by his associate, and it says this: "You can't run with a skunk and smell like a rose." Isn't that profound? You can't run with a skunk and smell like a rose. Look, if you've been hanging around with a skunk, but do you have to bother to tell anybody you have? No, no. Listen, there's a church in northern Pennsylvania uh, where we preach for meetings. There's a family in the church, has a small senior care facility. They'll load up a van of people from the care facility, bring them to the church services. They have a dog. I don't know if it's a therapeutic dog or something else that way at the house or whether it's extra napkin front of the table. If somebody loses theirs, they can wipe their hands on the dog. But in any case, uh, uh, one of the times that we were there for meetings on the Saturday night before the Sunday we started services, the, the dog was left outside overnight and got into an altercation with a skunk and lost. It then proceeded, mind you, to spend the rest of the night sleeping under the van they used to bring people to church. So that when the people arrived at church the next morning, they opened the outer doors to the church and the inner doors to the auditorium. We already knew they were there. And when they came up and sat down, other people were getting up and moving to the end of the other end of the road. Why? Because the odor they pulled a the cat had preceded them, had rubbed off on them. Now think about that just a second, will you? Those people had not even been anywhere near the skunk itself. All they had done was ride to church in a van that had been parked over a dog that had been with a skunk. Let me tell you, you can find the wrong crowd to hang around with in a Christian school. You can find the wrong crowd to hang around with in a Christian college. You can find the wrong crowd to fellowship with in a Bible-preaching church sometimes. What did you think about preacher's message last week? Yeah, I didn't agree with it either. About time we got in the move, huh? So easier than the rest of us packing up and moving. Be careful of the company that you keep because they will either build you up in the Lord or they will tear you down. You can't run with a skunk and smell like a rose. It'll rub off on you. Neglect, uh, or excuse me, uh, your your entanglement with what? Worldly atmosphere. Number two, worldly associates. And thirdly, with weighty activities. Weighty activity. What do you mean by that, Brother Webb? Read Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with a greater cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Wait a minute, what did it mean when it said lay aside every weight and the sin? What's a weight as opposed to sin? Well, think about it. There are some things in life with which there is really nothing wrong. For example, there's nothing wrong with sports, baseball, soccer, football, basketball. There's nothing wrong with camping. There's nothing wrong with boating or fishing. There's nothing wrong uh, with with, uh, hunting. Nothing wrong with these things. But I know some people that when it comes to be hunting season are spending much more time studying the hunting manuals and the Outdoor Life magazine than they are the Word of God. And I know one church where the pastor told me that he had a family that was faithful all year round until summertime came. When camping season came in, camping was their thing, and they were gone every single weekend during the summer, fellowshipping with God in nature. Some people would never ever think about missing their ceramics class, but they'll miss Wednesday night prayer service for no reason. I was in a church in... New Hampshire once, and it was uh, the last night of the meetings we were getting ready to start the service, and a lady from the church came up and said, Brother, are you going to pack up tonight after the service and load or wait till tomorrow? I said, no, we always do it after the service the last night while we got some folks around to help. She said, well, good. I said, well, let me ask you, why does that matter to you? She said, well, it's our family's turn to clean the church this weekend. And she said, we're going to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and we're going to come and clean the church. And my husband and son are going to go two hours away this way to a car show, and my daughter and I are going to go two hours away to a craft show the other direction. I thought somebody people would say, well, man, they really like cars and crafts. I guess so if you're willing to get up at 4 a.m. in the morning to clean a church so you can go two hours' drive one direction or the other just to see cars or crafts. But here's the thing. That family wasn't even at Sunday school that week. 10 o'clock, Sunday school. In fact, when I mentioned it to the pastor uh, before we started the service, he said that family never comes to Sunday school. Would you like to make a wild guess why? Because it's too early. 10 o'clock in the morning is too early on Sunday morning for them to get out of bed and come to Sunday school, but they can get up at 4 a.m. on Saturday morning and clean a church and drive two hours one direction for cars or crafts. Look, you and I will make time to be where we really, really want to be. There are things... Like sports activities, there are parents that say, well, preacher, I, I would be here tomorrow night, but Junior plays for the Little League ball team in town, he pitches for them, and they have a game tomorrow night, and you know how important it is for us to teach our young people responsibilities as we signed them up for the team. Responsibility to what? You realize you're literally teaching your children that it is more important to be faithful and responsible to a ball team, a coach, and a sport than to be faithful to God in his house." And it won't be just Junior that's going to be missing from the from the church service the next night because he's pitching in the ball game. It'll be mom and dad and brother and sister and everybody who's watching the game. Woo-hoo, Play Junior, go do a good job. Uh, th- th- there was a fellow that uh, I saw in a church uh, in Virginia once was was a door man who one of the fellows who greeted people as they came in. He was there on Sunday, but he wasn't there Monday night, Tuesday night, or Wednesday night. Thursday night, he came back to the meetings, and I heard him in the lobby telling one of the other churches, uh, fellows there. He said, I wasn't here the last few nights because my, my son had a ball game two of those nights, and my daughter had a concert with her choir from her school one of the other nights. And you know how important it is for us to support our grandchildren. And I thought, buddy, you're teaching your grandchildren that church is the last thing down at the bottom of the the stack that's important because their concert or their ball game is more important to you than being faithful in God's house. I mean, he was obviously convicted by it because he was trying to excuse himself to the other men who were also greeting people coming in the door. Look, the fact of the matter is we need to realize that the things of God need to be first. And whenever we allow some other thing, may not be anything wrong with it in itself, but when it gets in the way of the things of God, it becomes a weight, it becomes... Wrong. We need to rearrange our priorities. We need to teach our family the same thing. Look, I'm not kidding. These are the same kind of parents who come back to a pastor years later. I've seen it happen, personally. And they say to the pastor, Preacher, since our kids are grown and married, they don't even go to church anywhere. Where did I go wrong? You taught them there were other things when they were children that were more important than the house of God. You taught them sports more. So when the Super Bowl comes, they don't go to church. They stay at home and watch the Super Bowl. When the Olympics are on, they spend hours in front of the TV watching the Olympics, but they don't spend any time in the Word of God. Look, you taught them well that other things were more important than the house of God. Look, folks, when we become entangled with weighty activities, it will cause us to backslide. These are the causes. Neglect and entanglement, if you will, failing to walk close to the Lord and falling into sin. He said, well, preacher, if there are that many people in backsliding condition, then it can't be all that bad. No, it is. There are serious consequences to backsliding. What are the consequences to backsliding? Look at what we find right here in our text passage tonight. First of all, dissatisfaction. What does it say? "Thine no own wickedness shall correct thee, thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is what? An evil thing and bitter. That thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. Look at verse 11. Hath the nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? My people have changed their glory for what? That which doth not profit. What does it say about the cisterns? Verse 13. They've hewn them out cisterns. What kind? Broken cisterns that can hold what? No water. That speaks of dissatisfaction. Look at what it says in verse 18. And now what is that to do in the way of Egypt to drink the waters of Sihur? Or what is that to do uh, in the way of Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Again, that's speaking about dissatisfaction. Look, think about it. The pleasures and popularity of sin has pleasure, but it's only for a season. It's like eating cotton candy. Do you know what they call that in Australia? Fairy floss. Fairy floss. How many of you have ever eaten cotton candy? No, you just thought you did, right? It's bright, it's puffy, it's colorful, it's sparkly. Rip off a big handful of that, stuff it in your face, and what happens two seconds later? Where'd that go? So, rip off another big handful of it, and you stuff that in your face. What happens to that two seconds later? Where'd that go? You can never get full on cotton candy, can you? You can get sick on cotton candy, but you can never get full on it. That's the way sin is, folks. Sin will never satisfy your soul. There's pleasure in it, but it's only for a season. And when it's gone, it leaves emptiness and bitterness and guilt and remorse in its way. I remember going to Canada once going up into Quebec to preach and we were listening, the only thing we could pick up on the radio at that particular place in the country was, was the National Public Radio Station. And there were two interviews and two programs in a row that morning we were traveling. And I'll never forget, one of them was an interview with a very famous authoress, who had made millions writing books and could buy anything she wanted, have anything she wanted, and the other was a very famous businessman, millionaire, who had made millions and millions of dollars, again, could buy anything he wanted. And during the course of the interviews, uh, they were both asked the magical question, are you happy? You know what they both said? No. No. I'm talking to people in churches that are working day in and day out so they can have the stuff these people have and the people who have that stuff aren't happy. They're empty. They're like the prodigal son. Remember that story? Who took his his inheritance from his father and, and he went off into a foreign country and it says he wasted his substance with riotous living. And then when he had spent all that he had, there arose a famine in the land and he began to be what? In what? Empty. He was empty inside. Went and joined himself to a pig farmer, wishing he could eat the slop he was feeding the pigs. Isn't that glamorous? Empty inside. I remember somebody I talked to once who said that they had been in the military and stationed as a liaison officer running important people back and forth between East and West Germany. And that when they crossed from the free side to the communist side, he said the way they had built things was that the first block of so of houses that you could see from our side of the wall, from the free side of the wall, looked really nice. But when you passed that block, the rest of the city looked like a garbage heap. It was horrendous. It was like a Hollywood movie set. Put the good side forward. Everything behind that was nothing. The devil is a master deceiver. The sin that he wants you to involve yourself in, that we think we've got to have, will never, ever satisfy our soul. Dissatisfaction, that's the first consequence. Then what? Then destruction. Destruction. Notice what did God say, again, about his people in this passage of Scripture. Verse 15, The young lions roared upon him and yelled, and they made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Also the children of Noth and Taphanes have broken the crown of thy head. Hast thou not procured the son of thyself, and that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God when he led thee by the way? destruction. What does it say in Matthew 7, verses uh, 12? What does it say there? It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto what? Destruction. And many there be which go in there at. Matthew 7, verse 13. I said the, the devil is a master deceiver. Just think about that tonight for a minute, right? The devil will always show you the front door of his establishments, right? The bright lights, the fancy limousine pulling up out front, the young people stepping out in their designer clothes and their designer hairstyles and their designer smiles and sometimes even designer faces, depending on how often they've been lifted. And they stop on the way up the red carpet, right, and sign autographs and let the photographers take a picture of whatever horrendous style of clothes they happen to be wearing at the time, and they make their way in to the place of sin, and you hear the loud music and you hear the laughter and the glasses clinking and the, the sounds of joy, supposedly, and you think, man, that's where the fun is, man. I wish I could be in the party with the party crowd. Have you ever noticed the devil will never show you the back door? See, in you don't want you to see the drunkard lying out back in the alley in his own vomit because of the alcohol he got enslaved to in that very place of sin. He didn't want you to see the person who's being mugged or murdered in the back alley to get more money so he can keep a drug or alcohol habit going that got started in a place of sin like that. He's not going to show you the person who's being raped in the back alley somewhere or in the back seat of a car to let some desires out that they got stirred up on the dance floor in that place of sin under the influence of that worldly music. And I can guarantee he will not show you the block after block after block of government, tenement, housing filled with single parents, usually women, who are raising two and three children, trying to work two and three jobs, trying to keep body and soul together because the person they lured into some some sort of relationship, probably wasn't marriage, ran off with another woman that was dressed in less than they were and acted more promiscuous, the first pound they put on our first child they had. Right? You've seen it as well as I have. Ask those single moms how happy they are. They're miserable. Somebody said sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and exact a price greater than you ever intended to pay. Destruction destruction. The first consequence of backsliding, dissatisfaction. The second consequence of backsliding, destruction. But the third consequence of backsliding is discipline. Discipline. Look at our text again in this passage of scripture. It says in verse 19, that own wickedness shall correct thee, and the backsliding shall reprove thee. God's Word talks about uh, uh, discipline or correction. In Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9, God says, Walk in the sight of thine eyes and in the way of thine heart, but know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. The Bible says in Revelation 3, verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 8. What does it say there? Ye have forgotten the exhortation. which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be, uh, be uh, 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 without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not. Sons, God's word says, Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, it worketh the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto all who are exercised thereby. You know what? God is a loving parent. How many parents do we have here? Okay, oh, isn't that amazing? How many of you spank your next door neighbor's kids? You nuts, pretty sure that'd be a lawsuit waiting to happen. Why don't you spank them? They don't belong to you. Okay, but how many of you discipline your own children? Okay, I won't turn you into social services, but that's good. Okay, the Bible says, Whoso loveth his son chasteneth him betimes. Okay, train up a child in the way he should go when he's old enough to part from but The word train there involves discipline. Okay, what do you do if you see your little child toddling over, headed for the stove burner to put their hand on the stove? Do you say, Oh, let's step back and watch? This will be educational. No, you don't do that. You run over and say, hey, honey, no, no, don't do that. Turn around, other direction, okay? And you turn to the other way, and you go back to what you're doing, and the next thing you look over your shoulder, that they are, titled them back for the stove again. So what do you do, run over and beat them to death? No, you run over again, right in front of him. Hey, no, honey, shoot, mommy, okay, see, daddy, okay. Hey, don't touch that stove. It's hot, ouch, it'll burn you, do you understand? Don't touch, okay? okay? All right, good, all right. And you walk away, and you look over your shoulder, and then they go toddling for the stove again. What do you do, beat them up then? No, you might run over, and you may paddle them on the padding God put on their rear for that purpose. But why do you even do that? Do you do that just because you're mad that they won't listen to you and you want absolute authority over them? No, if you're a loving parent, you know that if you let that kid go fool around with a burner on the stove, they might damage themselves permanently or worse. If you let them do that, it wouldn't be long before social services would be coming and taking the kid away from you because you're not taking good care of your children. Look, God is the ultimate parent. He will not let his children go far without first rebuking them. How does he do that? He uses that Holy Spirit in our hearts we talked about this morning to convict our hearts. He may use something the pastor says from a message to talk to your heart. Look, it may be something I'm saying tonight the Holy Spirit of God is hammering down on somebody's heart about saying, this is you, you need to listen to this. This is why I had this preacher preach this message tonight because you need to hear this because you need to, look, God will rebuke us first. What happens if we don't respond to his rebuke sometimes he then will chasten after that what does he do for chastening financial problems physical problems family problems there are other things God will do I heard about a young farmer who uh, who bought a mule from the older farmer who lived next at the farm next door to him and the next day, he got it out in his field. He wanted to buy a good plow and mule. That's why he bought the thing specifically. He asked for that. And the, the old farmer sold him a really good plow and mule, he said. So the next day, he got it out in his field, hitched to a plow. But he tried every word. He tried every command. He tried every hand signal. He tried pulling from the front. He tried pushing from the rear. That can be problematic with a mule, right? But he couldn't get the thing to move an inch. And so when he saw the older farmer come out of his house after his lunch, he hurried over there and said, look, I want my money back. You sold me a bum mule. I asked you for a good plow mule. And this lazy thing I've had hitched to the plow all morning. I've tried everything I can, and it won't move. Give me money, money back. And the older farmer said, hold on, sonny boy. And PETA might not like this explanation, but the, uh, the old farmer walked into his barn, came out with a three-foot-long piece of two-by-four lumber, led the fellow over to the field with the mule that was still standing, hitched to the plow, walked up, stood and uh, addressed the mule, took the three-foot-long piece of two-by-four and just slugged the mule between the ears with it. Stepped off to one side and said, plow. And the mule started plowing. He said, son, there's not a thing wrong with that mule. He's a plowing machine. That's why I sold him to you. But you just have to get his attention first. Seriously, now, I don't know how many times I've heard a pastor say about somebody in their flock, in their church, Brother Webb, I don't know what God's going to have to do before he gets that person's attention. Maybe somebody's already going through a financial problem. They're already going through a physical issue. They're already going through a family problem. And it's because God's trying to get their attention first. God loves us. He deals with his children. Now, he doesn't spank the next-door neighbor kids either. By the way, that's one of the reasons I know we don't lose our salvation if we sin after we're saved. Why? Because God doesn't spank the next-door neighbor kids either. David used to complain about that in the Word of God. Did you read it in the Psalms? Why do the heathen rage and the wicked imagine a vain thing? There are no pangs in their death, etc. In other words, web translation of what David said, the wicked are getting away with everything. Then it says, then I went into the house of the Lord. And then I understood what? Their end. See, God doesn't spank the next-door neighbor kids. They're not his. He's going to deal with them one day at a great white throne judgment in a lake of fire. Look, don't get upset at the fact that they look like the wicked are prospering in their wickedness. Because I've read the end of the book. They don't come out on top. God will deal with them one day. But God does deal with his children right now. And you and I as a child of God, as we preach this morning, cannot sin against God if we really are children of the king without him convicting our hearts. And if we don't respond to that conviction, then he has to chasten them. Maybe you've been through something like that before. Just like the Bible says, it's not joyous, but grievous. But it works the peaceable fruit of righteousness and all who are exercised thereby. God's word tells us this is what God has to do. This is the consequence of backsliding. And I could tell you many stories of people who had lost lives, lost limbs, lost family members because of their backslidden condition. And they wouldn't listen to a loving God who tried to deal with them. You saw so a preacher, wait, if, if, if this is such a terrible thing, I don't want that affecting in my life. Is there a cure for this disease? Is there a cure for this disease called backsliding? Yes, there is. Let me mention it to you quickly before we pray and close tonight. First of all, the Bible says confess the sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Square one is agreeing with God. That's what confession is. Agreeing with God that what he's dealing with us about is actually sin. Don't argue with him about it. Don't euphemize it and give it a better name so it doesn't sound so bad. Don't bother to argue with him about how many other people you know who are Christians who are also doing it. Listen to him. Agree with him. Confess the sin. Then what? Number two, forsake the sin. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Wherefore come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I receive you. There are some people who admit that they're doing wrong, but they continue to do it. They come week after week to church, and they know that there's something in their life that is not right. They would freely admit that there's something in their life that is not right, but they don't do anything about it. Uh, my father had a pastor tell him once about a fellow who would come forward in their church services. Every week he would come. He was the biggest hypocrite everybody knew in town lived a wicked life during the week. But every Sunday, he would show up at church and every Sunday when the invitation was given, he would come to the altar, he would get on his knee and he would pray out loud, God, get the cobwebs out of my life. God, get the cobwebs out. And he'd turn right around and go right back out and live in the same sin. Well, the pastor was finally fed up with it one Sunday. So when the fellow came up and he knelt down and he started that prayer, God, get the cobwebs. The pastor interrupted and said, God, never mind the cobwebs. Kill the spider. Look, When we know there's something in our life that's not right, we ought not just say, okay, God, I know about it. This is not right in my life. Well, then do something about it. Kill the spider. Get rid of it. Forsake the sin. The Bible says, Whoso covereth the sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Not just confesses, but forsakes them. Some people get into what we call the First John one nine syndrome. Every week they go out and live in the same wickedness, and then they come back on Sunday and say, "If if, if we confess our sins, He's faithful, just forgive us the and cleanse us righteousness." righteous." So I Confess my sins, Lord, forgive me. Good. Now I'll go back out and do it again this week. No, listen. If we don't mean, if we're not serious with God, folks, it doesn't mean a thing. God's word tells us don't abuse God's grace. You and I need need to. If we confess something, we need to forsake that sin. I remember I was preaching a meeting in Wickenburg, Arizona. It's out in the mining part of north uh, north uh, west Arizona. And uh, there was a uh, at the end of a service, Pastor and I finished talking to somebody, and into the lobby walked a fellow who'd been in the service. was a young man. He might have been college age. Came back in with what had to have been the biggest CD wallet I think I've ever seen in my entire life. It must have held 500 CDs. And he walked up to the pastor and he said, Pastor, this wallet is filled with music like the preacher preached tonight that is not godly. There's rock music here, country western music, there's contemporary Christian music. He said, I know I need to get rid of it, but he said, I honestly, I do not trust myself to get rid of it all. Would you please get rid of it for me? But he said, give me the wallet back because I want to start filling it with good godly music. That's an important principle, folks. If you get rid of bad stuff out of your life, you better replace it with something good or you'll go back to the bad. Praise the Lord for that. There are people that have, they look, maybe somebody here, you know that in your music collection of CDs you have at home or in your car is music that doesn't please God. There are DVDs you have at home that do not please God. There's stuff on your computer that doesn't please God. There's, you need to get rid of it. And some people say, well, wait a minute, preacher. Some of the stuff I have is collector's items. I mean, look, it costs a lot of money. If I just throw that stuff away, I'll be wasting a lot of money. No, hear me tonight. You wasted the money when you bought it. That's when you wasted the money. Some people say, well, I'll put it in the yard sale. Sell it to somebody else in my neighborhood. Oh, that's a good idea. Here, folks, this poison has been killing me. Would you like to have it? And if you can pay me some money for it, I'd appreciate it. See, i would be foolish to do that. You're just as foolish to try to get money out of that stuff that's ungodly by giving it to somebody else so it can destroy their lives. If you really want to find a good use for your worldly DVDs or CDs, somebody told me in one of the churches that I preach in, said, by the way, here's a good thing to do with it. They make good clay pigeons. Get somebody to go out with you, one of your hunting buddies, to go out with you outside of town where it's legal to use the firearm or whatever. Have them fling them up in the air and blow them away with your shotgun like shooting skeet, man. You'll have good hand-eye coordination to be getting rid of a problem at the same time. I'm being facetious, but I'm serious, folks, about the fact that if there is something that is not right, we don't need to make excuse for it. We don't want to say, well, okay, I realize it's wrong, but I spent a lot of money, so I'm going to put it in a box in the closet, and I promise I won't listen to it again. Is that what you do with the rest of the garbage at your house, put it in a box in the closet? Don't invite me over if that's what you're doing. No, I guarantee you it will not be long, and some of you know this because some of you may have tried this before. You know as well as I do that eventually it comes back out of the closet. Back onto the CD player. Back onto the television set, or Back onto the computer again. It won't stay in the closet. That's why you need to get rid of it completely. Destroy it. Throw it away. So nobody else can access it either. Get rid of that stuff. God's Word tells us we need to confess the sin. We need to forsake that sin. Number three, return to God. My favorite kind of drawing is not done on a chalkboard. It's found in James 4, verse 8. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. You remember how the prodigal son's story ends? My father used to say, my, the prodigal son must have, been, must have been one of those guys my dad used to talk about, a person with two brains, one of them was lost, and the other was out looking for it. Nothing there, right? Evidently, it was that kind of fellow, because the Bible even says, when he came to himself, that means he'd been someplace else, right? And somebody, when he came to himself, okay, when he came to himself, this, son, this young man sitting at the pig pen and he eat a pig slop said, you know what? Even the servants at my dad's house have le- leftovers and I'm starving. He said, I'm not staying in the pig pen one more minute. I'm getting out of this pen. I'm going back home to my father. And I'm going to say to my father, I've sinned against heaven against you and I'm no longer to be worthy to call your son. And so he got up out of the pig pen in his tattered clothes and without his, any shoes, I'm sure, and up that long dusty road. And It's interesting what the Bible says, right? It says, when he was yet a great way off, what? His father saw him. You know, I dare say that if you'd been standing next to that father on the front porch, you had looked down the road, you would have seen a speck in a dust cloud, unrecognizable as anything but a speck in a dust cloud. But that father recognized his son that far away. Why? Because he'd been longing for his return. He'd been looking for his return. He had been loving his son all that time. And what did he say? Well, I've got a shotgun propped up in the corner of the porch here so that if that arrogant character ever showed up on the property again, I could escort him right back off again. Is that what the father said? No. Did he say, well, it's about time he's coming back home again. I'm going to stand here on the porch, and when he crawls up here on his hands and knees and kisses my shoes in the dust, then we'll talk about reconciliation. Is that what he did? No. It says when he saw him way off down there, he left the porch and ran to meet him, wrapped him up in his arms. And when his son confessed, he said, bring the, the coat of a son, put on his back, the shoes of a son, put on his feet, the ring of a son, put on his finger, kill the fatted calf. My son, which was dead, is alive again. He's lost, and now he's found. That's our Heavenly Father tonight. You draw nigh to him, and he will draw nigh to you. Then finally, what? Stay close and be on guard. Stay close and be on guard. The Bible says very plainly in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom you may devour. The devil is always on the prowl, wanting to tear down our lives once again. He doesn't want us to have any victory. He wants to rob us of it. As soon as the decision is made, he wants to steal it from our hearts. He does not want us to continue with the Lord. But staying close is a way to keep him from having the victory. What do you mean stay close? Remember all the things I told you, if you neglected them, Bible, prayer, witness, service, you would backslide. Don't neglect them. I'll say it again. If you're spending all your spare time doing things for God, you don't have time to do anything for the devil. If you're spending your spare time meditating on the things of God, you don't leave any room up here for the devil to put other stuff in there, do you? Fill your head with godly music, there's no room for the other kind. Fill your heart with the word of God. There's no room for the word of the devil. Somebody said an idle mind is the devil's workshop, right? It's true. You let the devil in, he will fill your mind with everything you can to hinder your spiritual life. So stay close. Don't neglect those things we said. If you neglect, you'll backslide. And then, and then uh, uh, be on guard. And The Bible says be sober. Be careful. Watch out around you because the devil's going to attack. Ephesians 6.10 says be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. God's word says we need to watch out. We need to be able to stand in the evil day. Why does it say withstand? Because if you're a child of God living for him, you're under attack. Every day you'll be under attack. The devil is, is relentless in his attacking. He wants to destroy your Christian life. He wants to keep you from being able to be used of God. So stay on guard. Be on guard. What's that mean? Look, you know where you're weak, so guard yourself. And if you know there's a place around your house that, that, that if you don't build a barrier, the water's going to seep, seep in, you're just going to end up with a house that's been destroyed, a foundation that's ruined or cracked. So what do you do? You go out and you do what is necessary to, to, to make something as a barrier to keep the water from getting there. We need to do the same thing spiritually. Look, I tell folks, if you have a computer that connects to the Internet with no filtering system on it whatsoever, you're just asking for trouble. Whoa, what do you mean? We've got children in the household. They're godly children. They would never get on there and go to someplace they shouldn't go. You know how many young people we end up with dealing with every year whose parents didn't think they would get into trouble? The devil is a, is a master at getting to people. And when kids can even figure out when mom and dad aren't home or when they're not in the room or not around, they can have the radio on a different station. They can have the computer on some other place. They can go someplace that they shouldn't be. Get a filter system. I'm not selling them, but I'm telling you, guard yourself. You say, I don't have a problem with it. Put one on anyway, because you don't want to have the opportunity for the devil to get you that way. But if you know you're weak, particularly in any area, protect yourself from that. If you have to drive, look, if you have to drive an extra couple miles in a different way to work so you don't go past a particular place because if you do, you know you'll be in there doing something you shouldn't do, it is well worth the extra time and fuel to protect yourself. I'm just simply talking about the fact any area of your life that you already know you're weak, guard yourself any way you can. If you know if you go a certain place by yourself shopping, you'll always do a look at something you shouldn't look at, then don't ever go by yourself. Make sure you have someone else godly with you. Protect yourself from the attacks of the wicked one. Stay close and be on guard. <clears throat> I want you to see one other verse before we close our service tonight. I appreciate your attention. Would you turn one chapter further back or forward, I should say, to verse chapter 3. And I want you to see what God says. You know, there are two songs that come to my mind when I think about what we've been talking about tonight. The first one is, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, He's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home. Come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, fervently, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. Look, at, look at, at Jeremiah 3, verse 22, the first half of the verse. God speaks. Return, ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. And then I think of another song in our hymn book. that says, I wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home paths of sin too long I've trod, now I'm coming home, coming home, coming home, never more to roam. open wide thine arms of love, Lord, I'm coming home, look at the last half of the verse, the people responded, behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord, our God. Right now, if you're in a backslidden condition, you know it tonight. If you're backslidden, you know it tonight. You know as well as I do, you know it tonight. If you can think of a time when you were closer to God than you are right now, you know it tonight. What do you need to do? Just what we said. Confess the sin. Forsake the sin. Draw an eye to God. Stay close and be on guard. Let God begin a work of revival in you that will spread to the lives of others. Let's bow together for prayer.